0: Good morning, my name is Adam and I am one of the pastors here at the church, so glad you're here with us and um, hope you enjoy this morning and are challenged at some way, as Chris pointed out earlier, we're really, really centered on who Jesus is and we hope you at some capacity leave here just a deeper understanding of who he is and who he is to you personally. To kind of get that moving, Chris mentioned we're in uh, the series Weak and Needy and you'll notice on your bulletin, you'll see it up on the wall, you'll see the word childlike. Uh, if I throw that word up there, if you throw the word childlike, kid, children, I want to ask you a question, and we're actually going to give you an opportunity to talk amongst yourselves. Uh, what comes to your mind when you see a slide like that, when you see that word, childlike, children, kids? What imagery, what words, what concepts, what kind of pops in your mind the minute you see it? What I'm going to do is just... Take two or three minutes, uh, gather with the people around you. If you're someone here this morning, you would be your guest, you're saying, I don't really want to talk with people around me, that's cool. Even if you're not a guest and you've been here 20 years, you don't want to talk to the people, that's cool. I'd love for you too, but just kind of hang out and just say no thanks. Um, But that's cool. So don't force anyone to do this, but just take some time in groups of two, three, four, and just, again, share what comes to your mind when you see childlike. As you think about that, again, we aren't going to call them out, but just as you think about it and think about the words you, that you kind of threw the list, some of you, no doubt, maybe shared a funny story, heard some laughter. Some of you shared maybe cute stories. You're all the kind of the endearing, um, question though, how many of you, when you see the word childlike, put your own name on that list? When you see the word, it's the first thing that pops in your head, Adam Nagel. Some of you, everyone, yeah, I put you in that list. See, when I think about kids, when I think about the word childlike, when I think about the descriptive term childlike, yeah, there's funny stories and there's cute things that pop up, but you might be like me and maybe you love kids, yet at some level, for me, myself, I'm talking about, I find that kids can be a little frustrating, might be the word I could throw up there. Um, I, growing up, uh, is I, I discovered early on that I really wasn't a kid person. I remember I had, we had a, um, one of my sisters came along kind of an unplanned deal and she was way behind everyone else. And so there's about 10 years gap between me and her and, and it was, I was the only boy, then there was girls. And so my parents decided well, we got to do something with this little baby. So they put her in my bedroom until she got a little older. And i tell you what I discovered right then and there, I am not a kid person. One of the things I realized I'm not a kid person is because as I watched Tanya who, and I think a lot of moms are this way. They just have this intuitive kid language that they get. Like I watched when our kids were born. I would say a lot of times, I just can't wait till they grow up. Now, what I meant by that wasn't just is because I'm an adult. I reason, I logic. And when you have a two-year-old, a three-year-old, you don't reason and logic with them, right? Those of you who have parenting experts know that, yeah, Adam, that's a big mistake and you aren't going to get real far with it. But it's amazing to me when, a, when our... Especially infants and toddlers would cry. It was amazing to me how Tanya, my wife, would just kind of say, Well, they're hungry. She'd feed them, and their cry would be done. They need changed. How do you, I mean, how do you know this stuff? And so I began to realize I'm not a real kid person. And, and then as I got older, um, and in, in raising children and the years kind of ticked by, I discovered something else. And that is, <laughs> that is the reality that when you get married, I think you realize how selfish you really are. Cause you know, when you're single, who do you, who do you have to think about yourself? I mean, and all of a sudden you get married and there's this other person you have to think about. As I started growing with kids, I realized, man, when you get married, I realized, you realize how selfish you are. I think when you have kids, you realized how utterly selfish you are. Because now there's another, and I realized kids can be frustrated. I realized, I mean, why do we got to talk about this 15 times this week? Can't I just say it once and you move on? Uh, why do we, I mean, why do you, and you go on to this whole thing with frustration and, and things where it began to, and I look at this and I realize, you know what? I just wish they'd grow up. Can't wait till they grow up. And I realize that's kind of how I deal with people at times, isn't it? I mean, most of us, it's not a real compliment if someone were to call you, man, you are a real child, right? We we might say to that person, you're a real child. You need to grow up. But see, the thing that's interesting, Jesus shows up on the scenes, and he, he actually does that. And as a matter of fact, he kind of says it this way. This is kind of where we're going to head this morning. He says, don't grow up. And actually, actuality, what he challenges us to do is grow down. He says, don't grow up. Don't become more adult-like. Grow down and become more childlike. Okay. Now, the reason he says this is you're thinking, I'm going to just kind of let you know kind of where we're headed. The reason he says this is, and we're going to look at this in a minute in the Bible, is I should find my identity and security in Jesus. If you think about a child, where does a child find its, hers, his identity? Their security. A small child does not find that within themselves. They look outward to mom and dad. They look outward to their their. their the people that are living out, that are leading them, guiding them, directing them. And Jesus is going to come along and he says, so guys, what I really want us to wrestle with is where, and maybe kind of ask it in a question form is, okay, Adam, where are you finding your identity and security? Where am I finding it? Jesus says, I don't want you to grow up. I want you to grow down. Turn with me, if you have a Bible, um, to Matthew. Matthew chapter 18. If you're new to Christianity, you're new to the church, maybe you don't have a Bible, please see us afterwards. We will get one in your hand. Um, if you're new and exploring and you're not quite sure where Matthew is, you're going to run into that three quarters of the way through your Bible. Matthew was a guy who hung out with Jesus. He was actually disliked by the religious people of his day. The religious people, the church people just really didn't like him, And but he hung out with this guy named Jesus. And he's realized this guy named Jesus started to teach and say things to him that brought him to life and connected him with God. A, and so he kind of grows into this, and then he writes about it and tells us all about his relationship with Jesus and the things that Jesus said, and that's what we have in our Bibles with Matthew. Matthew chapter 18. Start out in verse 1. It says it this way. It says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus. So his friends, the disciples, the guys that are hanging out with the guys that he's pouring his life into, the guys that he's placing the hope of the future church on their shoulders. They come to him. And here's the question they ask. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In other words, Jesus, you're establishing this kingdom. You're establishing this way of doing life. You're establishing this rule. Jesus, we want to know who is the greatest. In other words, Jesus, who sits at your right hand? Who's the prince of your kingdom, so to speak? Now, if you've been around church a while, you've been around the Bible, you know that this isn't a new question. This question comes up a lot with these guys that hang out with Jesus. They're always jockeying for position and trying to figure out who is more important and who's greatest. Now, I take comfort in that a little bit because I think I do this, we do this a lot, don't we? This question is not new to us either. Most of you, when you walk on to a job for the very first time, what's one of the first questions you want to know? Who's in charge? When you come into a school or a new context or hang out with friends and you begin to, you come into a group, maybe a first time, you begin to be kind of get the pecking order and who is the greatest who's in church. We do this even in relational ways with gifting and, and different things. As we look down the aisles of people we're hanging out with and sitting here, we came to church with this morning. Who's greater them or me? Who, who really is the greatest? Who really has it together? Who really Jesus is the authority? Who's the boss? So to speak. Now, Jesus does something real interesting. He's going to use a tangible illustration. Verse two, he called a little child and had him stand among them. So there's probably a, a child there, a kid, um, the word child in this, from what I read and study, I'm not a Greek scholar, but what they tell me is, is that word is probably infant toddler age, young, young child. So he calls this toddler. He sees a toddler there in the group and, 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 while they're teaching, he says, hey, come on over here. Another place in the Bible it says he actually brings the toddler at one point up into his lap. So he brings a physical child into their presence. And then he says this to him. I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I want to kind of work backwards through these two verses. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the what in the kingdom of heaven? The greatest. Big distinction I always like to make when I talk about this. When these guys come to Jesus and want to know who's the greatest, Jesus never once, as I read it in the Bible, never once does he say to them, guys, that's not worth arguing about. Guys, that's not worth chasing. Guys, you have it all wrong. He actually, what he does is because he understands that greatness is something that's born into every one of us. We have the image of God stamped on our hearts. And we have the image of God stamped on our hearts. We can relate to him. And part of what that means, God is a pretty big God, right? Those of you who buy into God, you know, he's a pretty big God. He's a creative God. He is constantly bringing order out of chaos. He creates. He creates beauty. He is, he is I mean, he is perfect, and we have that stamped on us. So there is this innate born into us, this desire to improve, desire to pursue excellence, the desire to pursue greatness. So God, Jesus doesn't say, guys, he doesn't chastise them for wanting to be great. Instead, what he does, he says, I want to show you how to truly be great. And if you truly want to be great, you got to be what? What's the attribute he pulls out of the children? Humble. I want you to be humble also want you to notice what he says to them. Remember, they're wanting to know who's great, but what does he say? I tell you the truth, unless you look at verse 3. I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you aren't even going to get in, guys. So see what he's kind of doing? He says, these, these people want to know who's the greatest. Jesus says, well, let's back up a second. Unless you change Now, the word change is, in some of your Bibles, you actually see the word repent. Some of your translations, if different English translations, will see the word turn. So this word change is like, I need you to just move in another direction. I need you to stop thinking that you grow up and mature. I actually need you to turn and change your thinking. And I want you to think and become like a child. Now, then he says humility. It's the one trait that he pulls out. What is humility? Why does he call a child humble? Some might say, well, because they don't pursue greatness. Possible. They haven't hung around my kids, though. My kids have pursued greatness from the time they could reason or even begin to logic. When my kids were three years old and starting to play games, did they want to lose? I don't know of a child. I've never met a child that says, man, I'm really happy losing. Young on up. I also think of children. I think of my kids doing their homework, even in kindergarten. And and when they come home and they're given these first learning how to read, what happens to a child when they don't get it? When they're trying to get those words out and it's all brand new to them, what happens a lot of times with a child when they don't get it, they get frustrated, they get angry, they get upset. They, they, my kids at times will throw the book down and give up and I'll never be able to read. I'm such a loser. I can't do that. And they, and it's like this. So I don't think humility is the, is the opposite of greatness. I think what he's Jesus is saying is become great with humility because I think that born in us is this desire. Again, this God born thing to, to want to get better, to want to be great. So when he talks about kids being humble, what is he really saying? Think what he's really saying. If you really think about a child, it comes back to this identity. A child's security and their identity is always found outside of themselves. Always. A couple stories to illustrate this. I think you could probably all tell your own stories, but um, a couple. One, my nephew just turned one year old, Learned to crawl and move around. And one of the things I learned about my nephew early on, before he could even crawl, is when when... Big Uncle Adam would begin approaching him. He's sitting there on the floor, and you could see the corners of his face, the smile, start to turn downward. You could see his jaw begin to quiver. I'd get all the way up to him, and I'd put my arms in and pick him up, and he is a full-blown, blood-curdling scream. Do not pick me up. Do not hold me. Now, some of you might pause here and say, well, Adam, (laughs) you know what it said? Children are great judges of character. And that might be true. <laughs> he he may sense something that I need to deal with. But what's funny and what's interesting to me is he does this with a lot of people. But when my sister and brother-in-law take him from me, what happens to the cry? goes away. Why is that? It's because he looks to this person who feeds him. He looks to this person who keeps him dry. He looks to this person who lays him down he looks. He knows these are the people outside of myself that take care of me. It's humble. I can't do it myself. These people do it. I don't know who you are, but my security is in them. Take a child, a healthy child, childhood development, psychologists will tell you a healthy child. One of the ways you measure as they start to get older is they work through, they begin to detach from their parents. It's part of healthy growing up. And I know some struggle with this and you've got attachment disorder and all this, but one of the ways they, I've heard they measure this is when you take a child for the very first time as they're young to like the park and you let that little you know, three-year-old or so, what do they begin to do? They wander away from mom or dad or, or and they, and they, as they step away, they look back. Have you ever seen them do this? They look back and think, where's mom? Okay. I see her. They turn and they'll walk a little further. They look back. Okay. Moms. It's like they're constantly have this, this coming back to say, there's my, there's my center. There's my security. There's the person who, okay, I can. And they begin to venture out. So I think about this children are known to carry stress when you walk through a stressful, hard time and then children pick it up because they're cued in to look outside of themselves. I think it's one of the reasons why one of the popular questions that to, for children as they begin to come up through kindergarten, first grade. They begin to ask one another in school is what does your dad? What? What's he do? What's he do for a living? Why do kids ask that question? Why don't they just say, this is what I do. This is who I am. Why do they do that? If you ever hung out with kids and if you've heard some of it, your dad's only a truck driver. <laughs> My dad's a doctor. Why do kids do that? It's because they're mean. Well, it's because their identity is rooted in someone outside of themselves. Their dad's a doctor. They gain security and identity in that. Their dad's a truck driver. That kid gains a security and identity in that. Take homosexuality. This is the last illustration I use. Homosexuality, it's a big, messy subject in our culture today. And goodness, it's all over the place. And again, I just want to, one quick statement about that. If you're here this morning and you say, I struggle with homosexuality, I'm stoked you're here. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you walked into our church. Churches have not been very friendly to you if you're struggling with that. I get that. The reason I've been very friendly is because I think they isolate that sin over all the other sins and say, well, this one's the big, bad, horrible sin of our culture. And they attack it homosexuality is is no different than if I'm gluttonous and overeating. They're both sin. They both need to be dealt with. So again, but take homosexuality. Statistics and people who study people who struggle with homosexuality, they look at men who struggle with homosexuality. What often they see is when they look back through that man's childhood, what they will find is a completely detached, emotionally detached father and a strong, aggressive, overbearing mother. Again, why is that? Because as a child is growing, they're looking outward to form identity. And when that identity in sexual identity looking outward and it's all messed up for them, they begin to form their identity and their security is shaped for them. So again, I think when Jesus says, be humble like a child, what he's really saying is depend on me. Look to me to find your identity and security. Come to me. Find your complete and total security and identity. Trust me. I'm the one who will take care of you. I'm the one who you can depend on. I am the one that will give you your worth and your your, quote-unquote self-worth. It is found in me. Don't look elsewhere. Find it in me. Be like a child. Grow down. Don't grow up. Now, look at verse 5. Verse five says this, and whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. Now, parents in the room, (laughs) there's a reason why this verse gets put in the Bible, right? Those of you who are especially parents of small children right now, you know full well what happens when you have children. They get in the way, right? I mean, (laughs) date night takes on a whole new meaning when children come into the picture. Vacation takes on a whole new meaning. Those of you who have children, I I love the beach. I absolutely love the beach. Beach used to be a great place for me. Now, when I go to the beach and I come back and people say, how was your vacation? What do I typically respond? Well, I think I need a vacation from the vacation. See before children, what I did is I would go boogie board. I would sit down. I love to sit in the beach, and just listen to the waves and read a good magazine, read a good book, thumb through it. That doesn't happen anymore. Children alter our plans. Talk to anyone, if, if, you're, in this, if you're here and you're saying, I want to be in a small group, a life group. When you study life groups and pick, pull a book off the shelf and read about life groups, if you, if you, if you want to head down that road, almost always, one of the things you read about and study about and you hear about it right here at Bethany, small children make life group hard. Small children have a hard time getting into life group. So I think Jesus says this and he says, Listen, kids are welcomed. Welcome them, love them, bring them in. Don't don't look at them as a disruption. And matter of fact, he goes as far as to say, When you welcome them, who are you welcoming? Me. Jesus. So he says, celebrate children. Now, verse six, he shifts it now, and he's gonna shift, I think, not just talking about this again, he's kind of he, is Through this whole text, I'm always asking, is he talking about physical children or spiritual children? I think verse 6, he kind of really hones in. This is really where he's going. Verse 6. But if anyone causes one of these little ones... Now look at this next phrase, if you have an NIV Bible. Anyone who causes one of these little ones, who... What? Believe in me. He's drawing this. We aren't just talking about physical children. We are talking about spiritual children. People who believe in me, people who have faith in me, people who trust me, people who are quote unquote Christians. If you anyone who causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck. Now, this is a real pretty picture. Kind of brings back you know, Godfather and other imagery. I'd rather have a millstone hung around their neck and they'd be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of things that cause people to sin. Such things must come. But woe to the man through whom they come. Hard verse. A verse that I hear a lot of times quoted in reference to child abuse. I'll hear this quoted of causing a little child to sin, injuring that child. Woe to them because it would be better if they just hang something around their neck real heavy and go jump off a bridge. I want to draw the parallel, though, that Jesus is not just talking about physical children. He's talking about you, and he's talking about me. If my simple faith, if my faith is simple, if my faith is childlike, he's referring to me. So if my faith is simple, my faith is childlike, and you cause me to sin, woe to you. If I cause you to sin, woe to me. And I want to kind of, let's take this a step further. When I interact with people who really love children... Matter of fact, when I hear stories of abuse and neglect and you interact with people who really love children who hear stories of abuse and neglect, what do you hear them say? You want to get someone who really loves children worked up, talk to them about abuse and neglect of children. You will hear they could be the sweetest, kindest, gentlest person in the world. And when you begin to walk down that road, you will hear a tenacious, at times, anger and venom pour out of them. In fact, I've been known to say, listen, people that abuse children should have parts of their body removed so they can't continue to have children. I mean, it just ticks me off. And Jesus is saying, listen, the same way we get this physically, get it spiritually. Spiritual abuse can be just as ugly, if not uglier, than physical abuse. We talked last week about that yoke that we hang over people's necks at times. He says, when you walk down these roads and you injure people and you keep people from a childlike faith of chasing after me, And you fight and argue about all these things and you you hold them back and you cause them to sin. Go hang a millstone around your neck and jump into the river. It's serious stuff. So Jesus says, I am elevating children. I am elevating the, the place of children. I want you to welcome them. And more than that, I want you to become like them. I want you to live like them. I want you to have your complete and total identity wrapped up in me. Now... He continues, he's gonna take this thought of go jump off a bridge, he's gonna go even deeper with it and even, um, it's, it's gonna, again, he, he's gonna talk pretty blunt here. Verse eight, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. Verse nine, and if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Now some of you who have been in the church recognize these verses. But you see them, they're in a little different context here. These verses are are seen and they're used in in a few chapters early in Matthew chapter 5. And a lot of times when we think about these verses, we immediately think of sexual sin. Because that's where Jesus used them just a few chapters early. He used them to refer to lust. Lusting after someone who's not my spouse and someone I'm not married to. And, And Jesus says there, he says, listen, if your hand, if you want to touch sexually in a way that you should not and do things with your hand. He says, cut it off. If your eyes want to look at things that it, they should not look at, gouge them out. Same exact principle. But here he takes Matthew, the same writer, takes and he's going to broaden this principle. He's going to take it to, it's not just about lust. We're talking about broad all the way across all categories of sin and causing other people to sin. He says, deal with it severely. Deal with it seriously. Take it out and cut it out. The reason I think he does this This isn't a statement of whether about eternal security and once saved always. What he's really saying, I want you to get, he says, I want you to understand. Jesus is saying that the only thing that lasts forever is our relationship with God. He said, you know, I lose a foot. I lose a hand. I lose an eye. I'm going to stumble around in this life and I'm not going to enjoy life very much. But he says, that's the purpose. Some of us are living to enjoy this life and we're missing that we're not going to enjoy that life, the thing that really lasts forever. Our relationship with God, whether it means separated for all eternity in a place called hell or with God intimately in a place called heaven, it's the only thing that truly lasts forever. So he says, deal with this severely. Come to me. Be childlike. Find your identity in me. Find your security in me. Now, as I think about this, I want to talk primarily to those in the room who are Christians. Those of you who are here and you come here this morning, you know, for certain, you say, I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a Christian. If you're not in that category, I'd encourage you to listen in and kind of tune in and think about what's being said. But I want to primarily talk to those of you in this room that are Christians. I want to ask the question, and I ask myself as I say, is how, what role does taking sin out in your life really play? How aggressive are you with it? How often do you or do I ask the question, where am I finding my security and my identity? See, what I find in my own life and as I find as I interact with other Christians is I think we get this a little mixed up at times. It's like we know that we came into relationship with God through faith in Jesus, through childlike faith, but then we're just going to live self-sufficient all on my own. And what Jesus is really driving is where is your identity? Where is your security? Is it in relationships? I mean, you drive home today and tune into FM 97 or WIOV or any genre of music you want. And you're going to hear somewhere in those top 10 songs, you're going to hear a lot sung about relationships. Relationships. Broken relationships, hurting relationships, relationships that just give you life and you man, it's it's just relationships, sexual desires. And they sing about it because our culture today says my identity, my security is walking down that aisle, being secure with someone who loves me and who I can love. It's going to save me. It's going to give me life. It's going to be my security. And Jesus says, relationships are great. Marriage is a wonderful thing, but if you're looking to marriage and you're looking to that, that permanent relationship as the thing that's going to save you and give you life, your security and identity is not in Jesus. Some of us run to status. Some of us run to recognition. Some of us run to job and career for identity. This is a big one. And, and I mean, people say, hey, <laughs> my identity is what I do for a living in, in my career. And some of us run to family. Again, not bad. But I talk to people that, and I, at times, this is a struggle for me. Family, you know, I want my 2.5 kids. I want the garage with the car in it. I want the house that I own. I, I want a good family. If I can only have a good family, if I only get this family thing done right, then I'm going to be secure. I've done life well, and I'm saved. I'm good. I'm, I'm all together. Some of us, it's acceptance. Some of us, it's image. It's image. Some of us, it's the clothes we wear, the hair we do, the, the color of our hair, what we put in our hair, the house that we own, the car that we own, the car that we don't own. the I need to look a certain way, and I'm going to be secure. Some of us, it's power and control. Some of us, it's pleasure and comfort. And you could probably, if, if you really, if you're a person who constantly trains yourself to think down this road, you could probably keep that list running. But Jesus' message is, be childlike, come to me with simple faith, depend on me Period. Become to the place where you're totally secure and identify in me. Period. Do the surgery. Now, he continues this thought in verse 10. This is a cool verse. When I was studying this verse this week, I thought back through the different messages I've preached. I realized, you know, I've never preached on angels, ever. I don't think I've ever done it. I thought back, I thought, how many church services have ever been in where they talked about angels and the role that angels play. And this verse does it. I mean, this verse is kind of cool. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. Again, take this thing seriously, not just talking about physical kids. I'm talking about people here this morning who are saying, I am seeking after Jesus in a childlike way. Do not look down on them. Some of your English versions actually say don't despise them. Don't look down. Don't get irritated with. Don't get frustrated with. Don't think, oh my goodness, I wish they'd just grow up and get over this. Why do they keep struggling with that lust? Why do they keep struggling with that overeating? Why do they keep struggling? Why do they, why, why? Don't despise them. He goes on to this. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. Cool thought. Taught by Jesus. You know, we talk in the church world of having the Holy Spirit, of having God, of having Jesus. But Jesus also taught about there's another source of strength and care that we also have available to us. It's angels. Now, some will take this verse and actually talk about guardian angels, and I get why they do it. I think it could be valid. I don't go there, and here's why. See, the word says, for I tell you that they're angels in heaven. The, they're angels. The phrase is more of a collective, holistic phrase. It's like there's this grouping of angels. Angels plural, it's, and it's not just one given to you in each individual. Another writer in the, in the Bible says this. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will what? Inherit salvation. So he says, if you've inherited, if you're a Christian, you have an angel. Angels minister to you. It's a cool thought. I never really gave this a lot of thought before. But I have angels that care for me. You have angels, if you're a Christian, who care for you. The other cool thing about this, if you're a person who is despised and who is looked down on, that's what he starts this whole thing out. Don't look down. If you're a person who's in that, the cool thing is, is these angels that care for you, where where are they right now? Where is, where are they, what are they seeing? For I tell you that they're angels in heaven always what? See the face of my father. It means they're in my courts. They are here with me. They're hearing me, seeing me. They know my heart. They know what I want to do. And so I don't want to get in the way of this. So he says, if you're a person who's looked down on, first of all, it says, don't look down on them. And if you are looking down, you've got some opposition standing in your way. But if you are a person who is looked down on and you're trying to just grow in your faith and you feel like, man, I keep blowing it and people hate me for it, guess what? You've got angels who are there with you, watching you, helping you, and they're going to stand up for you. Now, verse 12. Some of you notice verse 11 is missing. The early manuscripts of your, most of reliable is actually verse 11. And some of you may actually have it where it says, um, the son of man came to save what was lost. It's, it's removed from the NIV Bible because early manuscripts, they, it's not found there. So they jump right to verse 12. It says this. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 in the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth. He is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off in the same way. Your father in heaven is not willing that any of these, what's the word that's used? Little ones should be lost. Now, if you have grown up in the church, if you've been around the church, even if you haven't, you've probably heard this story referenced, preached on, or talked about. God leaving the 99 to go after the one. Now, the thing that I have come to realize is this, that's oftentimes when this is talked, we remove it from the context of what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about what? Kids. He's talking about kids. Kids. Now, those of you who are parents, I think you'll get what he's really saying. I've got a three-year-old little girl, soon to be three-year-old. She'll be three-year-old in three in another month. So the first child that we've had that's truly free-spirited, I mean, just she she is, she will just disappear. I mean, she's this child that I think that if we ever have a child, that we have someone stop and bring a child in off the road to our home because they wandered off without us knowing it, it is this child. She's figured out how to get out of the house. She'll go out of the house without mommy and daddy knowing about it. No matter how much we've disciplined her no matter how much we said you can't do this, she continues to walk out of the house and just roam around. A week ago, when I'm outside working, I brought her out with me. Tanya asked if I could watch her. It was, it was on my day off on Friday, and the other kids are at school, and Tanya had some things to get done. So I said, yeah, I'll bring her out with me. So what do you do as a father when you have a little girl, especially a little girl who wanders off easily? When you're out weed whacking or mowing, and I forget what I was doing, I, every three minutes or so, two minutes, a minute, I would constantly look over and make sure I have visual contact with where Ava is. So i mowing along, look over, there's Ava. There's Ava. I look over at one point and I don't see her. What happens parents at that point? I mean, our rational brain just goes out the window. It's like this adrenaline, this stuff just kicks in. It's like, man, there goes the rational thought processes. It's like we start thinking every worst possible thing. She wandered off. She could, I mean, who knows? And so what ends up happening is I begin to scour the back. I call her name out. I run all through the backyard. I walk away even an above ground pool, go all the way around it. She's not behind it. Go through the playset. set. She's not in the place I can't find her anywhere. I'm scurrying now really quick because where in the world is my daughter? I come running up. and think, Well, maybe she went inside with mom. Maybe she got inside. I get around to the front of the house and there she is. What do I do as a dad at that point? I run and I grab her and I pick her up. Now we may have conversation later about don't wander off Ava, but at that point, at that point, what is a father's heart or a mother's heart? My child is safe. Take the same story. Say instead of Ava in the backyard, it's Tanya, my wife in the backyard. Number one, as I'm mowing and working, I am probably not every minute or two going, where's Tanya? Where's Tanya? Right? We, it's, and, and actually, if Tanya were to disappear for 15 minutes, am I going to panic? I mean, you can even. a matter of fact, it would probably take most of the day for her to disappear. Do I finally realize, we got a problem here. Where is my wife? I don't know where my wife is. And I'm probably not gonna call the authorities and get too stressed out about it till we've got a we're well into the evening, and I can't get a hold of her on her phone. I don't know. At that point, now I'm gonna kick in and be a little nervous. But that's that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Listen, we've got a child here who's wandered off. The child is out there, and the heart of a dad is for his child. God's heart is huge for his kids, it's huge. And he says, this one to the 99 business is not is not about just people who are out in the world who don't have Jesus. He's saying these are people who are children. These are people who are looking to find their identity in me. These are people who are depending on me. These are people who've come to a place where they're childlike in their faith. These are people who are saying, I just want to in some way look outside of myself to this person, Jesus, and, and I am and when they wander off, what's God do? It's the same thing I do with Ava. He chases down, he runs after, and he looks for. And after they're found, what do you do? What does God do at this point? He does something I think in most Christian circles we're allergic to He parties. He parties. He throws a huge celebration, he's living together, he says, man, this is incredible, let's let's get excited about this, let's be stoked, I mean, let's just, and he says, let's have a party because this child is home, they're safe, they're secure. I've mentioned this last week, and I'll say it again, I think it ties in well here. One of the things I've struggled with a lot in my spiritual journey is knowing, is God for me? God's unconditional, unmerited love, his grace, his mercy. And I've struggled to grow up in a religious culture where it was very works-oriented, work hard to gain that, to earn that. And what I've discovered over the years and continue to discover in deeper and more profound ways is that when I don't feel that God is for me, a lot of the times, it's nothing that God has done. It's what I've done. A lot of the times, I'm not that humble child, finding my identity in him. I'm that self-reliant, hardworking, do-it-yourself, I-don't-need-your-help, 99, over there grazing on the hill. As we saw last week, God is revealing himself to children He's holding himself back from those that are self-reliant, those that think they got it all together, those that have it down. So as we started with the word childlike, I said, what comes to mind? A lot of probably fun things. And again, you could probably do a whole sermon series just on what it really means to be childlike in your faith. They're innocent. They're fun-loving. I mean, you go down a whole list of things, but... As you think about that term, you think about that phrase. I want to add a couple words to it as we just kind of wrap up and go to prayer. Add words to the thing childlike. Things like, I'm chased. I'm sought after. I'm loved. I'm secure. I'm found. I'm celebrated. God celebrates me. He's calling all his angels together and worse, he's throwing a party because Adam is childlike in his faith. Adam is approaching me to find his identity and security in me. God's saying, I think in this, this one to the 99 and he wraps up, he's saying and he talks, he's saying, I'm going to chase after you to the ends of the earth. And here's the thing I want you to notice. When he finds the child, he doesn't beat the child up. He doesn't say, what were you thinking, wandering off like that? He's just stoked to have him home. So as I close in prayer, to make this real practical, I'd really encourage, especially speaking to those that are here in this room, and say, I'm a Christ follower, to walk out of here identifying the areas in your life, in my life, where I am looking to identity and looking for security outside of Jesus. And be honest with it. Do the heart surgery that Jesus talks about. Be willing to cut the hand off. Be willing to gouge out the eye. Be willing to do what's necessary to say, I want to make sure that I'm not causing other people to sin. I'm not causing other people to stumble. And I am not stopping anyone else from becoming childlike in their faith. I also want to make sure that I myself am being childlike and I am doing what it takes to find my identity and security in Jesus. So that I can... Go away, resting in the fact that I'm chaste, I'm loved, I'm sought after, and I'm celebrated. God, thanks so much for Jesus. Thank you for the story that we read, the story, this, this endearing story. I know many people love this story. God leaves the 99 to come after the one, and I could be that one. But God, the real heart of the story is that God's, your heart is moved by me being a child, you love children. You, you take great joy and pleasure in children. I love all throughout the Bible when Jesus, the stories of Jesus, he, he touches children. He welcomes children. He does so many things with children that his culture of the day pushed back on. And so, God, as I think about that and I process that and I understand what it really means to be childlike, God, I pray that you'd help us as people as we leave here today to really take that seriously ask, am I growing down? Let's not spend so much time about growing up and growing deep, but let's grow down. Let's become more childlike. Let's really find our identity in you, in Jesus, our security. And God, forgive me for the places where I look outside of that to find it. Forgive us for that and help us to leave here in very practical ways saying, yeah, life is hard. It beats us up. But man, I've got a loving father who's chasing after me. if I'm in a childlike position so help me to be there in Jesus name we pray amen